0: hello thanks for listening to the gibraltar today podcast i'm jonathan scott Today we spoke to the Chief Minister. We held what he said would be the last Direct Democracy before the next election. And the bus company's strike was where we started off. They've continued their industrial action today. Fabian Picardo told Direct Democracy that their action had been unreasonably escalated and unnecessarily aggressive bus company staff uh, were actually protesting outside his office earlier today. Uh, They spoke to him, accused him of trying to smear them with references that they thought were unfair, uh, unfair references to their salaries in a press release issued by the government yesterday. The Chief Minister said that they were accurate references and anonymised payrolls will be published today, Thursday. Also on Direct Democracy, Mr Picardo said housing for rental will be an important part of the GSLP Liberals' manifesto at the next election. On the treaty, he said he had expected to be able to announce a deal last month and that this was only derailed by a lack of government in Spain. We put your questions to Mr. Picardo. Good afternoon, Fabian Picardo. Uh, How are you feeling? Uh, Industrial action outside your office earlier today. Uh, Does that sort of uh, test your resolve or or, or do you feel very confident about the position that the government has taken?
1: Well, good afternoon, uh, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be back with you on Direct Democracy. I told Christine last time that I did it on television. It might be the last Direct Democracy I did during the lifetime of uh, that this current parliament, I can tell you that this is the last direct democracy I will do in the lifetime of this parliament. It's a pleasure to be here because direct democracy is something that we started uh, 12 years ago. It was an invention that was set out in our manifesto of um, 2011, and I think it's worked very well. Um, and turning now to the issue that you're raising, look, I went out today to see the bus drivers who are striking. I I saw all of them. I know many of them, if not all of them, as friends. I shook hands with all of them. Um, and I was very clear to Sam Hennessy, their union representative, that I think that it's not in their interest that they should be striking. Not least because they're depriving people of a service that many in our community rely on, but because whilst they're on strike they are withholding their labour and therefore, under the rules that have applied in Gibraltar and elsewhere uh, forever, they don't get paid by the employer, in this case the bus company. They'll get paid union pay by the union. So it's not in their interest to be on strike. Of course they can declare a dispute. They said that they want to go back to work as soon as possible, well, they were s-
0: all expressing the hope that they I would be to able to reach to an
1: agreement with you well, and it we're seems not seems going to be to about reach the, an agreement. the basic pay. You're well, not going to reach an no, agreement. No, we are not going to reach an agreement whilst they are on strike. We are not going to negotiate whilst they are on strike. In In the 12 years I have been in government, we've had a very clear rule. You can declare a dispute and come to the table, and then we negotiate uh, our way round that dispute in a way that works for the government and the taxpayer and the persons or individuals who are declaring the dispute. But what we don't do is allow strike action to become something that is done in order to force the government to reach a conclusion, which is in the interests of the individuals who have declared the strike action. So
0: you want them to stop the strike action and then... Uh, be able to start
1: negotiations again with you. Let's but, be very clear. But they about want
0: you to put an offer on the table in well, order for them to stop the strike Let's action. be
1: very clear about what's happening here, Jonathan. We had a meeting with Unite the Union yesterday, which went very well. Um, they were going back to talk to their members. We were preparing uh, the outcome of that meeting into and turning that into an offer that we could start uh, negotiating. And then all we got back was an announcement by Unite that they were going on strike immediately. Now, there's been no elevation here. There's been no question of them not wearing a uniform but going to work. There's been none of that which you see uh, in the usual the usual way. And I think that there are members of Unite here who are being who are fantastic people who provide a Great service, who are a real backbone of our community in transport, who are being very negatively influenced by a few small uh, number of individuals who are wanting to push their own agenda in a very aggressive style, which is anti-democratic. It's trying to blackmail the government into uh, giving them an answer very quickly. And that's just not going to happen. And that's why I urge people, of course, that we're going to negotiate. We're not going to agree just to look at issues of basic pay. We're going to look at all of the issues under the agreement because there is an agreement signed by Unite that says that the pay is agreed until 2029 and that they'll have public sector pay rises between uh, that, in that period. Um, so Unite have signed an agreement already on pay, which is in place until 2029. And we say, look, you've done that already. We're happy to look at the whole agreement so that we can get a better deal for the taxpayer, a better deal for the drivers. Let's sit down around the table. Let's start talking about that. But we won't just negotiate the one thing that you want to negotiate. But
0: how do you go from basic pay of £11 now? And they've given us some of their uh, pay slips. I know that you will obviously have similar information, but basic pay... Uh, 11 pounds an hour uh, take home pay for a week 257 pounds an hour uh, on, on a better week uh, with uh, with a long weekend uh, included uh, £685 yeah. an hour, but uh, a lot of that is overtime. No, well, is overtime well, the issue here?
1: Well, I don't think it is the issue because uh, the, the men of the bus company that I have met with Unite tell me that they want to continue working the overtime. I have proposed solutions which mean that they will work less overtime, but they tell me that they want to continue working the overtime. And I've got the payroll of the bus company here for the last six months. Um, and the person who has earned most um, in the past six months has earned 35490 pounds in the past six months which means that he would be earning approximately 71,000 pounds over the year the next 34,329 well I can tell you that of that his basic pay is 16,000 pounds and his overtime is 15,000 pounds and he has allowances of 3,695 pounds I don't know how many hours it is but then again I don't know how many hours I work I work every hour that God sends um, in my job, in my job of responsibility, and I know that many other people work many hours, but we will be able to tell you how many hours those are. If you look at the basic and you look at the overtime, the amount of overtime is almost the same as the basic, and when you add the allowance, the overtime and the allowance is more than the basic. And what I think it's important, given that... Uh, one of the individuals who was outside number six common Place actually accused the government of lying because of the information that we had published. It's important the government demonstrate that we were telling exactly the whole truth to the public about the earnings of bus drivers, and we will, uh, we will publish the, um, the amount that uh, each driver, anonymized of course, has earned in the past six months and how much they earned last year, so that people can see the reality. And of course... I deeply respect the amount of work that these bus drivers do, the hours that they work. I hope that they respect the hours that I put in as well and that every public servant puts in as well to earn the money that we each earn. And if they work those hours, there is overtime, there's very well remunerated, there are allowances, and that leads to the take-home pay that we're talking about. Okay,
0: Uh, we've got a number of questions coming in on other topics, Chief Minister, so I think we best get stuck in with those. Uh, A question from Peter uh, on Hassan centenary terraces. Can the Chief Minister confirm a date when the buyers
1: will be able to complete and obtain the keys to their properties? Those properties are really magnificent. I've seen one of them. I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. I know everybody who's been down to snag has been delighted with the product. Uh, I am told that we will be issuing the packs very soon. I think by the end of this week or next week, packs Will start to be issued to lawyers represented in different individuals. We're talking about 380 properties, so it can't all happen on the same day, uh, but that is now very much in train. Question from Matthew How close are you to fulfilling your promise to fully implement
0: the UN United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Disabled before your term ends?
1: Very close. Before your term ends. Very close. Not there yet, but very close. And you expect to do it before the term ends? Well, I think we've done the lion's share of it already. I mean, there is. There are still things that we may need to do. And on this, look, I must say, uh, with issues of disability, we mustn't run with quantity, we must run with quality. It's very important that we do things right. We don't just do them for the sake of saying that they are done. Because then what's going to happen is that we're going to fail people with disabilities. And in order not to fail people with disabilities, we are prepared, if necessary, to fail in our commitment to implement the Convention, because we're implementing the Convention properly. And as I've indicated before in Parliament, and I think in public discussions, discussions about this we cannot put the united kingdom in a situation where we say we are ready for full implementation and then the united kingdom finds that it's in breach of an international convention so these are complex issues they mustn't become party political ding dong issues
0: there's another uh, question on a similar subject Vicky uh, says following uh, a demonstration um, on disability and special needs uh, there was a press release by the government in April saying, uh, uh, talking about an autism pathway when will
1: this be published and resourced? Well as far as I know and, and I know Vicky's very concerned about this because of her personal circumstances uh, Jenny and her team at number 6 Convent Place are already working on exactly that pathway and how to deal with it
0: Okay, there's a question about streets being filthy from Mr Ryan Uh, he says we have cockroaches and rats everywhere and our people lack pleasant and safe green spaces to enjoy why hasn't this featured more heavily in the government's priorities
1: well I I completely disagree with Mr Ryan, there are more pleasant green places to uh, go with your family in Gibraltar today after 2012 when I first became Chief Minister than ever before not least Commonwealth Park and Campion Park and the other parks that we're hoping to develop and indeed, it is true that there are cockroaches and rats in Gibraltar. Um, it, it is very difficult to tell you, Jonathan, whether there are more cockroaches now than there were in 2012 and more rats than there were in 2012. But I can tell you, having lived in the upper town of Gibraltar myself for most of my life, I found that there were lots of cockroaches in town and lots of rats in town. And that the, the fumigation of that area is something that is done Very often, um, and it's impossible to say that now Gibraltar is in any way in a worse state than it was when we inherited it. Indeed, I believe that things are much better than they were in 2012 in this respect, 2011 in this respect. Gibraltar Today. With Jonathan Scott. We've
0: got a question coming in from Frank uh, about the conversation we had earlier, Chief Minister, about the bus drivers working very long hours. Asking, is it safe for bus drivers to work 16 hours a day when they're driving uh, around large
1: vehicles with potentially vulnerable people inside? Well, I don't think it would be uh, safe for a bus driver to drive 16 hours a day, which is what you've said in your question. I don't think there is any case where a bus driver is driving 16 hours a day, but we do have to look at the maximum hours uh, which bus drivers should be able to drive. I agree with that. But
0: on a basic pay of, you know, they say starting £10, £11, I presume it goes up every year, but uh, to get to salaries that you've quoted, it would mean that they are, and you've said yourself that they're getting a lot of overtime and and allowances on top of that. So the overtime
1: is through... Working more hours. But they're not working 16 hours a day. That's what they've told GBC today, outside number six. 16 hours a day is not numbers that I've been given. Double shifts with a a two-hour break in the middle. The basic pay is, in many instances, exactly as the government has said, above the national average. I mean, 16,634 in six months of basic pay gives you a basic pay of over £33,000 you know, uh, 12,929 pounds gives you a basic pay of approximately 25 to 26,000 pounds. That's below the national average. The well, national it, average is 3,600 a yes, month, no? Yes, indeed, but add add the allowance. And the allowance you is not something that requires hours to be worked. So an allowance of £3,700 paid in six months that's an allowance of £7,400 paid over the year added to the £32,000 that's £41,000 an allowance of £1,200 that's £2,400 over the year added to £25,000 so you've got allowances before you start to work a minute of overtime I know these bus drivers I know them most of them personally i know they're good people i know they work hard i know that there's a lot that we could achieve if we sat down to negotiate and i also know that they're on a fool's errand if what they want to do is strike and be on unite strike pay without sitting down to resolve these matters where we can look at all of the issues the government's position has only been this we will not look just at pay we have an obligation to the taxpayer to look at all of the issues that are in play in an agreement you know i'm very happy to sit down i represent the bus drivers as well i'm an elected politician and many of them have elected me or other members of our team and so i represent them too i'm very happy to look at things that concern them and deal with them i respect them a lot but they've got to sit down and talk they can't just put a gun to our head and say you either agree the pay issue or we go and strike with your private of of, of, uh, of
0: that, that that sort of action being too aggressive no you,
1: you said unnecessarily. that in- Because it's not as if we were saying we were not prepared to negotiate. They just wanted us to give them an offer based on what they wanted to negotiate. And that's not a way to negotiate, I'm sorry to say.
0: Okay, questions coming in, Uh, Chief Minister. This one from John. He says, is the Chief Minister satisfied with the amount of money spent so far on eGov? He thinks it's about £20 million, presumably just last year,
1: and satisfied with the services it's currently providing. Well, I must say, I I think that the progress now is being made in earnest. There is a very good app now, which takes you to all the different areas where you need to interact with government, including one of the things I've been trying to achieve for many years, and finally the al achieved, which was that you should be able to book your health centre appointment online without having to wait on the telephone. So now you can call, but you can also do it online. That means that people who call, who are more likely to be elderly, are not going to have you know, everybody in the community ahead of them on the telephone queue, there's still people manning those phone lines, they get answered quickly, um, and those who are tech-savvy and who, whose lives, like mine, radiate around a mobile phone can do it on mobile phones. You can do a lot of things now which you couldn't do online before, including a full submission of your tax return, which is live, so immediately you get a response of what your tax liabilities are. So we've made a lot of progress there, there is still more progress to be made.
0: On housing, uh, I think Joseph asks, there are
1: hundreds of people
0: local gibraltarians waiting for years and years on the housing housing waiting list and who are desperate and waiting for government help many of us living with elderly parents many living in spain many people paying crazily high rents in in public uh, dwellings uh, living or alternatively dwelling uh, sorry living in derelict flats when is the gslp liberal alliance
1: going to help us and give us a solution well we've helped a lot of people we inherited a huge housing waiting list the housing waiting list is now i think it's one third of what it was when we inherited it but there are still people on the waiting list and then whilst there are people on the waiting list we have to keep helping uh, people who need our help this morning i've been doing clinics and i can tell you that housing is one of the key issues we are of course delayed with two of the uh, two and a half of the housing estates we were developing as affordables. Um, and if those had been finished in time and we couldn't finish it for the reasons that we've set out in relation to COVID, Brexit negotiations, etc., um, we would have relieved um, most of the cases that I'm seeing uh, today because the list would have moved more quickly as people moved out of rental accommodation. During the course of the general election campaign, we'll be saying a lot about how we will now finally tame the housing waiting list forever, because I think we've now got a formula we'll put to the people which will enable us to tame the housing waiting list forever. And that means not just developing affordable housing for young people. It also means giving priority to those who are elderly who have bought affordable housing before, because we are developing at the moment pensioner flats for those who are government tenants, but we need to think about those who are not government tenants, who are Purchases of affordable housing and who want to downsize rather than increase the size of their properties.
0: Carl is asking,
1: what about government's
0: plans for future housing rental accommodation, uh, which Carl thinks would help reduce the housing waiting
1: list? Well, I think there is an issue there, and I I think that that is going to be one of the key uh, planks of what we're going to propose in the general election campaign. So I'd say to Carl, please watch this space, because as the election campaign uh, starts, when the time comes, uh, you'll see what we're proposing for the lifetime of the next parliament to really deal with that issue. Christine says that by the time you get through uh, to primary care, there are no appointments left. It happened to her today. And perhaps that is the case for today. But if you go online, you may be able to find an appointment for tomorrow um, or, or for another day. And uh, if you need an appointment today, then you know there are other mechanisms which you can use. Direct.democracy, if you'd like to put a... Uh, at
0: gbc.gi, that's direct.democracy at gbc.gi, or six two hundred. if you'd like to put a question to Mr. Picardo. Uh, we've got more of them coming through. Uh, this one is uh, from John. Uh, he says, ahead of the 2011 election, uh, you criticised the GSD for... Um, using government resources for electoral purposes, uh, namely photographs that were owned by the government uh, in uh, the GSD manifestos. But aren't you doing the
1: same uh, with the Frontier and with the Cruise Liner and today the Moorish Castle? No, that's completely to misunderstand the detail of what we said in 2011. In 2011, the GSD used a government-owned picture of the incest hall which had not been published, that is to say, we had not seen it, in the GSD manifesto. They took from a government file, sent it to the GSD manifesto printers and put it in as GSD material. What we do, and what we've said from the very beginning, is that that was not fair. If the government of Gibraltar under the GSD had published that Incis Hall picture, and it was in the public domain, anybody could use it. We in the GSLP could have taken it and put it in our 2011 manifesto and said, look, we will do this too. We will keep to the proposal that the GSD have made for the Incis Hall. So we are not doing that at all. We are making announcements of what the government is going to do. The government is not the GSLP Liberals. The GSLP Liberals will go to a general election with a manifesto of what we will do for the next administration of the government of Gibraltar. So I'm afraid John has completely misunderstood the law and the politics of this. Kaylee is asking, uh,
0: when will St. Joseph's School receive some investment? Uh, compared to the other brand new schools, St. Joseph's, Cayley Fields, is literally falling apart. No air conditioning, ceilings collapsing, allegedly,
1: uh, paint falling off, cables hanging from the ceiling, a playground that is uneven. Well, that's, that's the school that my children go to. Um, and as you can imagine... Um, I'm very concerned about the safety of children in that school because it includes my old children, as I am about the safety of children in all schools. St. Joseph's is probably the best of the schools that we inherited. It's already had considerable investment. It will have more because, as Kaylee says, it's not falling to bits. I, I disagree with that completely. But it doesn't have air conditioning. All the rest of the schools do. So we're looking at a programme to retrofit air conditioning to St. Joseph's and to invest in it too to bring it up to the standard of the new schools, although it's not far off that standard because because... because it's been a very resilient building and it's had continual investment in the time that we have been in government. Sam
0: says uh, there is no treaty with the european union uh, your government will the gslp liberals will go to the next election without a treaty because you have said that uh, you, you're not expecting one to happen this year and uh, all the indications are that you're uh, pointing to an election happening before uh, 2024 um uh, so sam's question is why should people vote for you on this issue given that you don't actually have an agreement
1: Well, what I'm saying is that we are the ones who have been negotiating this agreement. We're very close to the agreement. And it makes no sense to change the team that has been negotiating this agreement at the last minute. Because it's not as if we haven't been able to deliver an agreement because we haven't been able to negotiate it. We haven't been able to deliver an agreement because Spain, that's one of the entities that is negotiating it, although it would not be a party to the treaty, the treaty would be UK-EU, has gone into, because of the democratic process, uh, stasis, because it cannot, at this democratic stage, it's a a stop from being able to make decisions. So we were ready to come to this general election with a treaty. I thought we would have it. In fact, I'll tell you a secret, Jonathan, because you you like me telling you secrets when we're on air. Um, I had told my cabinet members to be available for a meeting of Parliament potentially in the last week of August, because all the indications were that we could come back to Gibraltar with a treaty in mid-August, and that we would then take it to Parliament for a meaningful vote uh, on a government motion the last week of August. But of course that was before... The result of the Spanish election meant that we could no longer continue the negotiations. Um, So we fully expected to have a treaty in the lifetime of this parliament. It's just the reality of Spain's democratic process that got in the way. But we're the ones who have been in the driving seat. We know every inflection of our opponents in the context of the negotiation and what it means. And we know exactly what led to where we are today in the negotiation. And changing the team negotiating would, in my view, not be good for Gibraltar. And that will be one of the things I'll be saying during the course of the general election campaign when the election is called
0: you've uh, spoken about it being uh, comparable to, to poker and you looking at your opponents in the eye um, and you knowing their gestures. Uh, but, um, try, I mean, I, I, maybe I've misunderstood, but I didn't think that the chief minister was at the official rounds, the official, uh, um, you know, sort of negotiations. Uh, I suppose there's unofficial and official, but the attorney general no, is the one that goes, Michael Jamas is the one who goes
1: to the face-to-face yeah. stuff. No, there's a there's a lot of face to face stuff There are official rounds of UK-EU engagement, which Michael Yamas uh, is involved in as the lead Gibraltar official, and Lindsay Appleby leads the UK delegation as the ambassador to the European Union. Because it's no politicians? No politicians, it's just officials. And then there's meetings between officials um, and politicians on the Gibraltar and UK side and on the Spanish and European side, and I'm involved in those meetings, and I'm the one who looks people in the eye, and I I know how they react when I say things, and, uh, you know, it's very important. That we have that link as we go into the final lap of this negotiation. I mean, so those, are face-to-face those are face to face negotiations. Not official often, rounds, but face to face. Those are very often face to face. They're sometimes video. They're sometimes on the telephone as well. You know, we know WhatsApp. each other very well. WhatsApp, WhatsApp video, all of the rest of it. Um, so, you know, in the last lap of the Monaco Grand Prix, with the Mercedes ahead, would you stop the car and take Lewis Hamilton out? Sorry, you're a Mercedes in this i analogy? Yeah, no, not usually. A dr- I'm a Mercedes driver. I'm more uh, a Tifosi, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Um, okay. So uh, let's let's go back to other questions, Chief Minister, about about the treaty
0: as well. Uh, if, uh, well, actually, not about the treaty. If re-elected, Chief Minister, uh, would you give uh, your commitment to continuing to foot the bill for the McGrail inquiry into the circumstances surrounding the early retirement of the former police commissioner?
1: Well, I can give you a commitment uh, entirely because, in fact, Jonathan, I don't need to give you that commitment because... We've already signed the terms of reference which fund the inquiry. There is a line in the estimates already uh, which provides for the funding, which is set out um, in the approved estimates of expenditure of the government for the year 23-24. The inquiry, I think, will be resolved before the end of the financial year twenty three twenty four. but if it isn't, if I am Chief Minister, no doubt there will be a line again because I've already signed uh, as Chief Minister that there should be, and I think any government of Gibraltar would be, have to be committed to that. There will be no alternative. A lot of comments um, to the
0: effect that um, people think it won't happen um, uh, coming through uh, to us, uh, that uh, some way or other the McGrail inquiry will not
1: reach its full conclusion. I think the McGrail inquiry, as as you know, I've said it, before is a waste of time and a waste of money but Ian McGrail called for it and for the reasons I've already set out that's why I called for the inquiry it's already costing the region of two million pounds I think that's money wasted for our community to inquire into why a person retired but there was concern publicly about it and Ian McGrail expressed the desire that there should be an inquiry and for the reasons I've already set out I called the inquiry. Can you clarify um on another matter the uh,
0: public sector pay rise Uh, can you clarify some people think that it's a one-off payment which uh, is expected to to reach uh, the accounts of public servants uh, in the next few weeks September I think you you, you said Um, and can you clarify whether this is a one-off payment because Unite the Union has been referring to uh, a a two-part a two-year deal um, uh, in which there will be uh, another payment next year uh,
1: or, or, or not? I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe you can, you can help me to understand it. So it's not that I've said it's going to be paid in September. I've been advised that uh, at the time that we designed the payment, I was advised that September was the right time uh, to pay it after the announcement in the budget. We discussed with the United a two-year deal and how we would deal with the second year because this is a first non-consolidated a payment for the year, non-consolidated for a very good reason, so that it's not taxed. As a result of it being non-consolidated, it's a one-off payment paid outside of payroll as a housing uh, cost allowance because of the cost of living increase, and in that way it doesn't fall within the taxation rules that would make it taxable. And next year, I've said to Unite that I would start negotiating on the basis that what we've paid this year in total is where we would start for next year, so Unite are presenting that in a way that I think is acceptable and favourable, um, and I would therefore uh, take the view that United are doing the right thing in recommending to their members that they should support the payment of this amount. A question from Kieran. Why hasn't the government negotiated with the
0: UK uh, to extend global health insurance coverage to Gibraltar
1: residents? Well, that's something that is very much under discussion with the UK. There are a lot of complexities behind that issue because there are uh, issues of insurance are never easy, but that is one of the issues that is live in discussions between Gibraltar and the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has not been been unfavorable in its initial response, but of course this is tied to matters related to the treaty and coverage in Europe. It's
0: been pointed out to me, Chief Minister, that I shouldn't allow you to say things like you inherited uh, schools when you've been in government for for 12 years, that 12 years is
1: long enough for you to get a a grip of... Well, I would would put it to you, Jonathan, and whoever told you that you shouldn't allow me to say that, that actually, 12 years ago, I inherited those schools, and that's the point I'm making. 12 years ago, when I first came into government, that is, when I was in government for one hour, those were the schools that I had to deal with. Yes, And 12 years later, 12 years later... They're still I am like that. saying I'm not that, saying they're that still one. like that. I'm no, they are not still like that. No, Saint that. Joseph's. I mean, no, no. There are ten new schools in Gibraltar, and Saint Joseph's has had a lot of money invested in it because it's been maintained. And there are of course issues in Saint Joseph's, but look, there are issues with Saint Anne's, which we opened three years ago. Do you know that this morning Saint Anne's flooded? You know why it flooded? Because somebody left a tap running. Look, we're all human. That those mistakes can happen. Somebody left a tap running and a Tupperware under the tap. And that led to the flooding of the school. So even though St. Saint, uh, Saint Anne's is a magnificent new school that I did not inherit 12 years ago from the GSD and we uh, built and delivered four years ago this morning, it had an issue. And therefore it's going to require investment to maintain because we are all animals and humans at that and we make mistakes. So you know, I did inherit the schools as they were 12 years ago now the schools are in a much better shape than they were and St Joseph will be in even better shape going forward. Eddie, Eddie asks,
0: Have government, does government intend to complete the planned opening of the city walls as a pedestrian cycling route following the expense incurred at Wellington Front, which remains inaccessible as a uh,
1: the answer to that is yes. We've had issues because what we need to do there is move the mosque that's presently on the site of the old parish hall, and we need to move the AquaJib Depot, which is at the end of the wall. Those are two things which are in progress. We're working with the Moroccan Community Association to find a new place for the mosque that is suitable. We have a plan already in place which will be uh, executed shortly for AquaJib to move its store from that area and then you can complete the work on that thoroughfare I think it'll be magnificent you know we used to call it walk the wall there will also be provision for bicycles it'll be a great project that will enhance the amenities available for our community
0: uh, Chief Minister together Gibraltar and the GSD will go their separate ways at the
1: election um, any comments in respect of that Look, I don't think it's fair for you to ask me to comment on what other what other political parties decide to do in terms of their uh, lineups, etc, because it's a matter entirely for them. Uh, what I would say is that I think what is very clear in this general election is that there will be one progressive force with a chance to form government, and that will be the GSLP liberals if the public decide that they want us to return as their government, and there will be one conservative force proposing austerity and the reversal of rights, in particular in, when it comes to female reproductive rights, and that will be the GSD, and the failure of the current leader of the GSD, who always says that whilst he's leader, the GSD will be a progressive force to deliver the alliance with uh, together gibraltar demonstrates that, that the GSD is not a progressive uh, force it's a conservative force and they've confirmed that with this vote.
0: I'll let the GSD respond to you on that and, and but you did re- re- comment on it even though you thought it was unfair for me to well, ask I you. Know? <laughs>
1: on the politics of it rather than on
0: their decision. Um uh, Nigel Fitum uh, to be your next finance minister if you are uh, elected I paraphrase no, uh,
1: no. Elected by the executive committee of the GSLP to be a candidate for the GSLP, and if I am selected by the GSLP to be a candidate for the GSLP, and if I am chief minister, would be my choice for minister... For financial services. I think he would make a great minister for financial services. It might sound like a technicality that I'm putting in the way of that but these are not technicalities. These, these you are don't the take basis, the vote for granted. These are the basis of our democracy within the GSLP. We're a very democratic institution and we, we look after that democracy very carefully. Presumably your your word carries significant sway there as the leader of the GSLP Alliance. Indeed and, and Sir Joe Bosanos as well who was very complimentary of, of Nigel in the executive committee when I proposed him for co-option. Uh, but the views of all of us will be relevant and it's one member, one vote in that executive, and from that executive, it goes to the extraordinary general meeting of the GSLP before the general election, and the general meeting has to confirm the uh, candidature that is proposed by the executive, or they can replace any member in the candidature lineup that the GSLP proposes for its members of the alliance. And
0: should your membership uh, agree it and the executive, uh, do you foresee Albert Isola
1: remaining part of that team with Nigel Feetum or, or not? Well, we have important portfolios for all of them to be taken care of, um, but uh, Albert will make his views known to the executive committee of the GSLP as to whether or not he's standing again um, very shortly, I assume, when the chief minister uh, asked the governor to convene a general election. Any insight as to when he may do so? Yes, I know exactly when he will. And can you share, give us any clues? As soon as he does, I will. No, as soon as he he does, (laughs) we will know. Of course I'm not going to tell you, but good good on you for trying.
0: Everybody is saying that it's, uh, or the earliest date that people had in mind
1: was that you'd call it next week. Well, you know, people in Gibraltar, you know, they're sometimes right and they're sometimes wrong. So you don't rule out calling it next week. But I I have spent the past two years uh, when the GSD started saying in February 2022 that I was about to call an election, that I had a very clear view of when the election was going to be. And I I can tell you this much, Jonathan, Uh, two years ago, I knew what date the election was going to be in 2023. If I was chief minister and had the chance to call it, Uh, that is the date that I am still going to uh, aim for. um, And uh, therefore, you will know Uh, exactly when it is, because I will of course notify GBC so that they can be there to report it for all your viewers and all other media in Gibraltar. Thank you in advance for that. (laughs)
0: Uh, And do you expect it to be
1: seven GSLP candidates uh, and three Liberal candidates making up an alliance? Well, that's been the very successful way that we have fought elections until now, but this is uh, something that of course is renewed at every election and uh, in very much hope that we will continue in an alliance with the with the Liberal Party. As you know, it was my first political home. Um, I am very, very close to Joseph Garcia. I consider him my political soulmate. And uh, our alliance has been the most successful alliance in Gibraltar's political history.
0: So will you negotiate that with him, or will will it be... Parties. Those how does issues, that happen? Those are
1: issues for the political parties, and uh, you know, I lead my political party, he leads his political party, and the two executives have to determine these things in the proper and appropriate way.
0: So he'll come, and oh, you, you, might say, I've got three strong. You're he making might a say, mountain out
1: of a uh, This is interesting for us. Well, it happens I mean,
0: behind the it's, scenes. It's but mechanics.
1: He, it's mechanics because yeah, you know. But, but is, if he has two strong candidates instead of three, might it be eight? too then. Well look, I'm not going to get into those issues because you're in the realms of pure and utter speculation. Yeah, and I'm going, asking your question. Going, yeah, but it's pure and utter speculation because you know we could we could spin that question in any permutation of strong candidates on either side and spin it in in, in ways that that would just make very interesting after cognac conversation but is not really something that i want to get into in the context of dealing with the live political issues in gibraltar today with you today on air
0: okay so uh let's return to that then uh one last question let's leave it to to Francie's to have the last question she says if as it seems to her Uh, The government uh, is being economical with the truth when talking about the pay of
1: the bus drivers. How can we believe the rest of what you say? Well, she can believe exactly everything that I say because what the government has said about the pay of the bus drivers is true. And indeed, if you look at the government press release yesterday, we were very clear in saying that the amounts that we were saying that bus drivers earned were after allowances and overtime. We did not pretend otherwise. So if you look at what we've said, we have been scrupulously clear and honest. And Francis can believe that and she can believe everything else that we say, because we are always scrupulously clear and honest with the people of Gibraltar, because I work for the people of Gibraltar, that includes the bus drivers, and I will never mislead the people of Gibraltar on anything. People might simply think that politicians are always lying, always misleading, etc. For me, my code of honour means that when I look at myself in the mirror every day to shave, I know that I've told the people of Gibraltar the truth, at every turn, despite the rumouring and the gossiping that goes in the streets, on in the streets, which is sometimes really quite uh, despicable, I tell the truth to the people of Gibraltar. Uncomfortable or comfortable, good for me or bad for me, but I tell them the truth. Chief Minister,
0: uh, we come to the end of the last direct democracy before the next general election. That's for sure. Thank you, Fabian Picardo, for your time. Uh, thank you uh, for listening and for
1: watching um, uh, and for putting your questions to the Chief Minister. And thank you, GBC, for having hosted so many direct democracies in the past 12 years since I've been Chief Minister. This could be my last one completely. We never know. We're in the hands of the people of Gibraltar. They are the ones who will make the decision when the time comes.
0: Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm
1: Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar, Monday to Friday.